Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Ricky. And this is Season 3, Episode 11 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. It should come out on June 15, 2020. And we're going to talk about things like getting into tech later in life, what you can do if you're going to try to become a network engineer or a developer, and you're not just out of college. Um, there was the newest release of Ubuntu, and we'll probably just kind of gloss over this, but I felt like there were some there were some neat things that were happening there, um, especially like when it comes to the smaller computers, like single board computers like the Raspberry Pi 4, um, and uh, some home automation topics that we're going to talk about. So uh, let's first get right into the beer, and let's talk about the Irish Channel Stout. It is by the NOLA Brewing Company. It's in New Orleans. Uh, this is a uh, 6.8 ABV, and uh, it's a one-pint can, so a lot of beer. Uh, it says here, this American stout starts with a strong espresso front end and finishes with a touch of baker's chocolate and is balanced with a crisp bitterness produced by American hops and roasted barley. The smooth and rich beer is our thank you to our neighborhood the Irish Channel. And uh, it says, Caisse la bonne beer ferry. I'm, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at, at speaking French, and I'm pretty sure that's French. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's all they have to say on the, on the can. By now, you should have had your first drink. What do you think? Yeah, took a couple sips. I mean, they're pretty spot on in terms of the flavor profile. Lots of, lots of coffee. Very mm -hmm. strong espresso, yep. but some good chocolate to the end. It certainly mellows. Um, I can't really call it smooth, though. I mean, it is a very aggressive beer. Mm. I mean, between it being kind of hoppy, so it's got that bitterness to it, the first taste of it, it, you know, the very forefront is just very harsh. I mean, it's almost got the same sort of, like, punch you expect of, like, the Sour Mash A stuff. Yep. They have like a, a really strong like whiskey bite at the very beginning. Well, there's none of the whiskey flavors with it. It's not aged, so it's, it's not that. It's just it's a very aggressive drink. I think I think that this reminds me of all the things whenever I see like a detective noir story or um, something that's based in New Orleans, or I think about Gambit from uh, mm -hmm. the X Men. This is the beer that makes me think of that. Um, you're right. It's very strong. This, it's not because it's got a lot of alcohol. It's strong because of the bitterness of the flavors that they're putting into it. So it's got a lot of the bitterness and astringency that, and nuttiness that comes from coffee without mm -hmm. some of the sweetness that comes from it. So it's, you know, got that punch. It's like a one-two punch. Punch coffee punch bitter from hops and then uh, kind of rounds out with a little bit of a chocolate flavor at the end, which I, I don't hate. I like this. This would be something that I would make. I'd put a steak in though. I'd like, Oh yeah, I'd, absolutely. Like we I'd, make I'd, a beef stew. Yeah. We put, I put this in there. No problem. Because all those, like the Mallard reaction kind of lightens everything up. Yeah. Keeps a lot of the dark flavor, but not a lot of the bitterness. Like it'd, it'd be great for it. I'm not sure I'd recommend drinking it straight up i you know i'll finish the one the the ones that i bought i don't i don't hate them but 
so the, it's you know it goes back to that like well if you if you had it offered to you and you had this or like a dragon's milk i'd choose the dragon's milk right mm-hmm. but if i had this offered to me and i had this or something that's a little bit more pedestrian um like say a bud light or a budweiser or something like that i would choose this i'd, I'd rather drink this than like some something like that so yeah and you know what? Now that I think about it, I'm gonna do a little experiment. So forgive me if you hear some rustling. <laughs> we've been cooking a lot more pasta. Mm-hmm. And I've got some fresh Parmesan that I grated kind of roughly by accident, and some tiny chunks fell off. Oh, you a like... little a little chunk of cheese. I think this would be a lot better with food. I think it's just a little bit too aggressive to be like a sippable beer. But if yeah. I was eating something with this, you know, those fats really change flavor profile. I want to see what that tastes like. That might that might be a thing. I didn't bring any cheese up here with me, but I might save a little bit and do the same thing. I've got some good uh, cheddar cheese downstairs mm-hmm. that I bought from the store. Um, that well, I bought from my local farm that I haven't eaten yet. I was planning on having some tonight. So. Oh yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah. In all honesty, I wasn't going to finish the glass I had, but I might now. Just a little, a little bit of Parmesan, just something that's nutty but has a lot of fat in it. The whole no. harshness, the bitterness at the beginning just goes away. Just take, and take you're only stuck away. with the flavors. Nice. Yeah. Very like nice. it's, it's such a radical change. I could tell which parts of my tongue had cheese on them. Because the parts <laughs> that didn't got like the burn of bitter and the parts that did just didn't. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, I think I can recommend this if you're eating something. Especially something with some fat in it. Not sure this is. I'm gonna go sit on my porch and sip on this sort of drink. Yeah, this is, this definitely isn't a sipping beer. This is a with a meal sort of thing. I have it with some beef stew, or especially something that's got some fat in it. So I guess beef stew wouldn't be the right thing. But something something where you've got like some cheese, or you're you've got like a more creamy thing that you're putting mm-hmm. with it. I think if they would have brewed it with some lactic acid. Um, or some la- lactic sugar, not lactic acid. I don't know what yeah, I'm some saying. lactose. So some lactose. If they would have done that, it would have been much better. Um, yeah, it'd probably make a good milk stout. Yeah. So buy it if you're a hophead or if you like to eat cheese with your beer. That's what I, th- I think that, that you probably would get by with. Um, so let's talk about you know, getting into tech later in life. I am one of these people who actually, my tech career didn't stop and didn't start until I was like 35. Um, well, no, 32, I'm sorry, 35. Yep, yeah. it's somewhere between 34 and 35. I, um, but it really didn't start until I was older. Um, and I'm eight, eight and a half years in now. And um, it's been it's been a great thing for me but what if you're even older than that what if you're in your 40s or your 50s um and uh you're trying to get into tech what 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 do you do how do you do that and what are some of the things that you have to look at um ironically uh, a buddy of mine uh who is trying to do this is the reason i'm talking about it Mm. excuse me so he um he sent me a message with uh, a completely unrelated thing from Network Chuck that um, was talking about a guy. It was like a guy wrote an article 
or not an article. He wrote in a letter saying he's an older person and he's trying to, you know, get become a network engineer later in life. And it was it was really good and inspiring and it's great. The problem I had with that and um, or the the thing that I looked at, the guy had been like he got out of college uh, when he was in his twenties or something like that. Uh, don't quote me on that, but he got out of college and went into uh, like database administration or server administration. Mm-hmm. So he had been in tech his whole career. He did, he was just switching concentrations. Yeah. He was going from being one thing and going to a network engineer. And while that is true that you still have to put a lot of effort into that and everything, and I am not downplaying this guy's thing, that's very different than if you were a construction worker and you decided you wanted to become a network engineer and you just switched careers completely yeah. at like 40, you know. So what are what are some good things that you can do to make sure that you are successful later in life because you don't generally have things like um, you, you can't go and um, become a uh, intern at, at most companies later mm-hmm. in life. You don't have some of the opportunities uh, to start young and make less because you're, uh, if you, you know, if you make less at the beginning, when you start later, you have less time to make up for that as you, as you go along. Um, And you have more responsibilities as you go later in life. So is it possible to even switch careers and become like a, a network engineer? later in life or, you know, a, a server administrator or something like that. What's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it absolutely is. I think tech is one of the much better industries to try and do that in than a lot of others. You know, tech, especially if you extrapolate development out of that, you leave that as more like a comp sci thing, even though, you know, there's a lot of cross there we've talked about before. But if you're focusing straight on of like network engineer, database administrator, you know, IT analyst, stuff like that. These positions are really driven on certification. It helps to have some formal training just because, you know, you get somebody there with some experience talking to you. But most of the entry-level certs, even some of the intermediate certs, are very doable through self-study with not a whole lot of monetary investment. You know, it helps to have things like the Pluralsight and CBT Nugget. And I generally recommend people get them because you're not spending a whole lot compared to what you stand to make back once you land one of these positions. But I've known plenty of people that have switched into tech, started with just two or three low-level certs, and that was enough to get their foot in the door to a, a decent paying salary. You know, maybe not decent for the tech world, but if you're going from construction worker to tech or you know, the guy I knew was going from retail into tech. You know, it was already a pay jump for him. And, you know, I told him, look, that salary you got, that's low for tech. But yeah. if you're just starting out, you know, it'll get better. You know, it's a great industry for that because if you have your certifications, most people weigh those more heavily than years of experience. So that's probably the first thing that we should hit on. You can't just say, I'm just going to start working here and just get a job. You need, you, you have to have something that in some way says you've been trained. 
Yeah. So you have to either have a degree, um, which generally is not received as well unless you have a computer science degree um, as a certificate. Oh, yeah. If you get a certificate, you're better off. Yeah, to really highlight that, I've known a lot of people who have gone to NC State, one of our local universities that's got a great reputation for tech. And it is very common for these people that go get their bachelor's degree to then go take another year to just get certifications. Because outside of software development, your degree is useful, but they really expect you to have those certs walking in. Yeah. You know, you'll generally a lot of your classes are even aimed at okay, you've taken two semesters of networking, we expect you to be able to get a CCNA at the end of this. Or, you know, you took so many hours of Windows troubleshooting, we expect you to go get one of the Microsoft certs now. They almost all line up with this because that's how important these certifications are. If you're taking a network class and it's not aimed at eventually getting you a network certification, probably not even the best class because, yeah. you know, you can get these, degrees accredited but when the whole of the IT industry looks to the major players to vet these people you know people are looking at Cisco to vet Cisco en engineers people are looking at Microsoft for them to get their stamp of approval that this person knows Microsoft systems more than they're looking at your individual university and your individual professor you know so the, the well, certs really are king in the IT world the way that college classes change and the way that they absorb the technology information of what's out there and the way that certificates change, they're on a completely different cadence. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, for, for instance, I know somebody who has gone back to, um, they're not getting an IT degree, but they will get like, um, I think like an associate degree out of this thing that they're doing, but they're going to a technical college and they're, they're taking classes that are, you know, tech classes, and they have to pass tests, and they get all sorts of um, certificates and accolades for how well they do. But ultimately, their degree that they're going to get from there isn't really worth much, and the stuff that they're being taught, while it still, like, works within the newer certificate a lot of it um, focuses on things that are from six, seven years ago, where yeah. like the certificate cadence is still, it's, you know, there's like three years, and then in that three-year window, they update a few things, but after that, they start focusing on new technologies that came out through within that three-year window and things oh, yeah. that are new. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, even good universities that are very heavily accredited, are four years behind and they'll flat yeah. out tell you that yeah. is you know because the technology has to get developed then it has to really the best use cases for it have to come out somebody's got to write a book the professors have to peer review the book to make sure the book is actually good and then it's got to land on your desk you know it's there's a huge gap in time that, so hmm. I, I was just gonna say so the the number one thing to take away from that is because I, I didn't want us to bunny trail too much for, for for a second, is that certificates are super important, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, um, I, I had a buddy, he finished his IT degree, got it in cloud computing, couldn't get any cloud place to look at him because he didn't have cloud cert. And, uh, you know, he went and got his A+, and I pushed him to get more things, and he didn't. Um, he's happy in the job he has now, but he, he landed 
as just like a help desk sort of IT guy doing mm -hmm. Windows computers. And that should tell you something. This guy went off, got a bachelor's. It's not even serious. The bachelor's in cloud computing. Couldn't get anyone to do in cloud computing to look at him. He got an A plus, and then he could land a help desk job. Well, there are plenty of people that I know that have they've they've had some experience. You know, like maybe they were military or something, and they go off and they try to get a like cybersecurity degree or like one of these specialized degrees, and you know they spend you know night school and years doing it, and then by the time they get it, it's kind of worthless. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons that happens is because it's the, those things, they don't keep up with the time and they're not, they don't give you the certificate that's associated with it. You have to take that separately. And the ones that are successful, they generally get the certificate at the beginning. They get into the field and they're, they're just taking the classes as like a bonus yeah. thing. And so their work kind of looks at that differently at that point. So the, the thing that I'm saying though, is if you're like 35, 40, and you're thinking about getting into tech and you're like, man, I hate working out in the sun. I, I, I like putting computers together or like doing this or that. Go ahead, start getting a plan together now. Think about your soft skills. Like, what can you do? Are you good at communicating? Do you write well? Do you communicate well verbally? Uh, if not, how do you get those skills? How do you learn how to write a technical document or something like that? Think about those soft skills that you have that you can use think about things cross crossover skills that you have that you can use and you can bridge into uh you know your new career and then expose yourself to different technologies so get don't don't just get like a windows machine and play with it if you can get a mac mini even if it's an older one get a mac mini play with play with apple's os if you have if you already have experience with both of those things Get yourself some Cisco kit. Get yourself some Juniper kit. You know, start playing with the command line. If you can get um, some some uh, some exposure to a Linux server, set up a Linux server in your house. Do those things. Find the things that you like to play with, and then start investigating what it takes to get a certificate in that field. So, for instance, let's say that you want to administer Linux servers. Well, Red Hat has a whole suite of certificates that you need to get. So the first thing that you need to do is look at the very first certificate, which I think is the uh, Red Hat um, Enterprise um, Engineer or something like that. It's like the RHSE. It's not, it's not my particular realm of, of knowledge, but the, the topic is still the same. You go and you... you figure out what do I need to do to study for that certificate? What skills do I need to learn? What, where, like this Linux Academy teach the things that I need to, and go there and learn and then do, and don't just, if you want to get a degree in, in, in like IT or something like that, that's great. You can look at, you know, my computer career, or one of these other places that does something like that. But unless they're giving you a guaranteed, we're going to help you get your certificate. You need to go to some place that is focused on trying to help you learn the skills that you need to be able to pass the certificate test. Yeah, because that's what's going to get you in, in the best spot. Yeah, and I'll give you guys a tip on that because I've I've known enough people that go to these schools and seen enough of their curriculums. If you're going to go to one of those schools, go to the ones that the final exam is actually taking the certificate. 
Yeah. Because I can't tell you how many times I've seen them like, oh, well, you know, we'll give you a discount or the first number of times you take this cert, it's free. And they didn't teach them enough to go get the cert. So they still had to do a whole bunch of self-study to get it. You know, but if your course ends with you go have to go get this cert and, you know, all these schools post their graduation rate, if they've got a good graduation rate and they're making you take the certs to graduate, you know, they're teaching you what you need. Or if it's one that um, they don't they don't necessarily give you anything else. Um, and the, so there, there used to be one near here that was uh, Carolina Career College. I went there. And they helped you get the certificate. They gave you like uh, vouchers and you did however many times that you were going to be able to do it. They, they let you do it over and over again. But they continued to let you like do tutoring and classes and things like that. So you took the class, you, you drank from the water hose, you know, for, for that is, well, drank from the fire hose is the better analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was hard. And then you got individual help on each of those things. And then you could go take the, the um the test and most people passed it uh especially the the things like the a plus the ccna the network plus yeah. the things like that the kind of entry level stuff they didn't have a red hat certificate so i, I can't say anything about that but the, my, my point is that if you're going to a school it needs to either the last thing you do be get the certificate or they get you to that point to where you can take the certificate and that's how they judge whether or not you were successful is getting that certificate right so mm -hmm. yeah um so there are people that don't like going to these things they call them uh cert meals but unless you do a lot of study you need some place to start so here's another thing find yourself a mentor so it doesn't matter if the person's younger than you if they have experience in the industry if you have a buddy that works in tech and they're doing something, especially something that you want to do, set up a weekly or bi-weekly chat with them where you talk for an hour and you pick their brains on things that you're having trouble with. Because more than likely, they're going to be willing to invest in you if they're your friend. And if they're not, you need to ask them why <laughs> and figure out how to like correct that because you know that's a valuable resource um, for you. And even if they're only willing to talk to you once a month for 30 minutes, maybe like you take them out to lunch and they'll give you like, they'll spend 30 minutes just talking to you about something. Listen to what they have to say, write it down, you know, respect their time and uh, make sure that you're get, getting it, getting it in. So I just want to recap, have a plan, uh, know, know what you're going to do, look at your soft skills, certificates are king, you can get a degree. But a degree is wasted time if you can get a cert in three months and you got to take two years to get a degree. Get yourself like cert classes, you know, whatever it is, take classes, learn how to get a cert. And then finally, you know, find yourself someone to plug into. Even if it's not somebody that you're really close with, find somebody that you know that you can talk shop with. Those four things are going to be the things that move you towards getting a career. And you need to do them fast. The older you are, like the closer you get to 40, um, the, the more you need to move towards that. And the reason I say that is um, when, you're, when you're in your 20s, you can, you can change careers a little bit, and that's not that big of a deal. When you're in your 30s, you even have some leeway there. But once you hit 40, 
people start looking cross-eyed at you when you haven't been working in the industry for a while and you're trying to break in. That's just the way it is. Even in yeah. tech, there's a little bit of ageism. Um, and I, I know that there are people that say, well, I got my CCIE and I did this. And there are far more people that they, that as they get older, they're able to like make some of those changes. But generally around 40, it's really hard to get into one of the big tech companies. You end up being a contractor if you don't get into a startup or a big tech company. Company yeah, I, I didn't know how much you wanted to get into that part of it, but that is something you hear a lot in tech happened to my father. Um, really, I think you hit right on the mark around 40 and over is when people expect you to be taking on more management and leadership style positions. Yeah. So, you know, if you're saying I'm 45 and I want to switch to tech, I think the same advice still applies. Get your certs, get in. but maybe don't expect to be a senior engineer more as you're getting some experience or getting the knowledge so that you can go be management at some level. Probably. Yeah. Or you might, you, I mean, look, I got into tech later in life, so you could, you can do it. I'm an architect now, so it's not like you can't make that switch. It's just, you should expect that you're going to be in a role where you're leading other people. And so how do you get to that point? Because even with what I'm doing and the decisions I'm making and the engineering stuff that I'm doing, I'm leading a group of other people in doing oh, that. Yeah. yeah. You know, what an architect is changes a lot company to company, but in the company we're at, architect is very much a leadership position. Yeah. Like there's still tons of technical stuff part to it, but the architect is expecting to be leading engineering decisions and then really to extend leading those engineers yeah yeah you're, you're a technical leader is what you're called um and and so just that that's where you have to be and if you can't do that like if you're like i i don't want to manage people and i don't want to do this and i don't want to do that then that might not be the right thing for you to do you may need to look at ways that you can maybe use like you can get some of these things and use them to advance your career and what you're doing now uh, there's plenty of stuff that if you're a, a if you're a construction worker and you get into flying drones or building computers or doing IOT things or you know, stuff like that, that you can be valuable to the company you're working for. So don't um, don't just discount that your interest in tech means that you have to work for like an IBM or a Microsoft or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My buddy that went and did the cloud computing stuff, he got really interested in tech because he was working construction and he got to watch the guys that would come in at the end of the project and lay down all the Ethernet and connect up the security cameras mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Pretty jealous that they didn't have to work in the sun as much and they got paid more. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, having those skills and really that was a low bar because he talked to some of them and, you know, he was saying, you know, he knew what the different types of cat cables were. And he knew really at just a basic level what IP addresses were and how they worked. Yeah. And they were real impressed. They were like, oh man, you could go do this job. So it's not like you <laughs> have to go up to a super high level in it just to get the benefits of knowing some of it. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about Ubuntu 2004. And I, I just want to hit on, I haven't used it yet. Um, I plan on installing it like tomorrow or later tonight. Uh, but I just I wanted to hit on some things that I thought were really cool. Um, so uh, especially about with the Raspberry Pi, 
you get some of those things like um, Wayland, uh, which is a new um, the, so the the old um, way of of doing the the desktop you know um, visualization so that you can see it and how that's exposed um, was was set up um, differently and Wayland is the new way of doing that. I, my my words are leaving me right now, but I thought that that was uh, really cool. And so you can really like have that natively set up uh, within within that. You don't have to go through as many hoops uh, to set either one of them up. Um, and there were a couple of other things that they put in, uh, but this is now um, the focal fossil, I think is what they call it, or fossil focal or something like that. Um, but um, so there, there's an article that you can read about all the the great things that they're doing and how they're they're setting up a new um, tool chain and all, all this other stuff uh, because they're really trying to do things like integrate this with like Microsoft products and, and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and this is one of the ways that I learned Linux is I just, I played with the desktop and then um, I got some of those features and I knew how to like set up a Samba share. And, you know, then I wanted to learn how to do a, an NFS share or an AFP share or something like that. And so I set these things up where I could, I could do this. Um, and I like Linux as a desktop computer. Most of, most of the computers that I own personally, not the ones that I've gotten through other sources that were given to me um, that as like uh, development machines or something like that. But the ones that I own personally, I have um, a gaming machine and then the rest of them all run some flavor of Linux, whether it's, um, a server or something like that and pop os has been my main thing that i've wanted to run for a little while but it's all based off of like ubuntu and so anything that i get from ubuntu is going to like kind of um flow into that so I'm, I'm really excited about some of the the new things the new um stuff that they have in 2004 did you read any of this like um yeah, I read through a lot of the um, release notes and stuff like that, and it, it certainly seems interesting. Um, I'll admit I've I've become kind of a Pop OS guy, but Ubuntu is is where I kind of started to learn Linux as well. I ran a computer off of Ubuntu for a long time in college. It's what I did most of my development work over, so I'll always appreciate it. Well, so but the the thing is is that with anything that comes to Ubuntu generally gets put into Pop! OS. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's true. You know, it's just, it's not probably something I'm going to jump in and get my hands dirty with right now is kind of what I was getting at. You know, I've got, um, I've still got that little development nook I set up, which is what I do a lot of my work on, and it's Pop! OS. So I'm excited to try it when it comes out on Pop! OS, but... I'm probably well, so, not going to install Ubuntu right now to play around. But, but they, they already have a version of Pop! OS that is 2004. Oh, they you do? To, yeah, so you just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, but when they release this, generally, they the the people from Pop uh, that, that are from uh, System76, they're already, like, putting in some of these features into their next release candidate. And so they release at around the same time that, that uh, the Ubuntu release happens. Um, because Pop! OS is an OS that's based off of Debian, 
but it's very highly tied to, like Lubuntu and other things like that, very highly tied to uh, Ubuntu and what Ubuntu is doing. So um, they, they integrated uh, a, a VPN called WireGuard and that technology into uh, Ubuntu, which is like super important because before um, it was a kind of a pain to get some of that, that um, native VPN stuff set up on there. And so you'll get that with the new Pop! OS as it comes out. Um, and it's just that like, I'm, I'm super excited about it. So I've got my, my Pop! OS install. I'm going to put on 2004. That's actually what I'm going to install, but it's going to, it's, it should have all the same features that um, 2004 has. Gotcha. Maybe the release log don't note all of it, but I was like, I'm looking at Pop! OS and I don't see some of those features in there. But I mean, you're right that it, it will eventually come to it. It doesn't generally lag that far behind. Well, nope. So uh, right here, um, 2004 Pop! OS, uh, get the tile windows, encryption out of the box. Um, they uh, they never they never included the, the Amazon thing, so that, that was just already taken out of it. You're going to get some more ZFS management tools. Um, GNOME 3.36, um, flat, flat pack support. Um, you get the hybrid graphics option, so you can do um, your system on a chip and your um, dedicated graphics card. Um, they have a default dark theme now. Um, and I think they have the built-in wire guard, but I'm not 100% sure about that. So, like, they they increase the everything that you should get from um, from the the Linux kernel. Uh, they even did some things like take out Python 2 support uh, in Ubuntu that should trickle over to Pop OS, from what I understand, from what I read. So, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty svelte thing. I just, I hate going through the process. This is the one thing I hate about Linux. I hate going through the process of, I have to wipe my computer to get a reliable update. I have to wipe my computer and reinstall everything pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's the one yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it stops me a lot too. And especially if we're starting to play around with the Python support, we still have at work Python 2 applications. So we haven't done True. the conversion project for those yet. Yeah. So probably won't touch that until we do. Yeah. So let's talk about some home automation stuff. Uh, did, you remember a, a couple of years back we talked about home automation. I talked about having a Wink Hub and how I got one, and I got it over like a Samsung Hub because it had more support for more things, uh, mm -hmm. and I could run like non like cheaper lights and things like that. Well, that was like a, a two hundred dollar hub I think that I got it's like uh, $199 and it's they gave me some, like some bulbs or something like that I might have got it like on discount and it would have been it was like $170 or something like that mm -hmm. but the the um, the hub itself is like generally $99 right yeah so now they've they, that thing's not able to work it's a brick because uh, the the company wink said Unless you pay us six dollars or five dollars a month, um, you know, four ninety nine, you can't use any of the features of it. Your automations will quit working. Now, once you start paying us, it'll it'll start working again. 
So what do you think about that? Yeah, not okay with that. It is really one of the reasons I've shied away from a lot of home automation, apart from the security concerns we talked about before. There's a lot of these proprietary solutions that you're just waiting for them to change something in their policy and then things get worse. Mm -hmm. The idea that you have to pay, I know like software as a service is the big new thing everyone's been talking about for the last couple of years, but it just seems so asinine that you're paying a monthly service for a piece of equipment you set up in your own house. Yep. So I am, you know, and I'm just, I think it's shameful that you, that you did that. I know that they're, they're probably having financial problems. Um, and so therefore they have started getting desperate to keep the company open. And I understand that. And there are ways to communicate that, but the way that they did it was kind of just like, well, your stuff's just going to quit working. And they didn't like really commute. I, I, I had a problem where I was having to go through and research a few things. It's not like I got an email that said, hey, your stuff's going to quit working. Um, I just, I found it out by accident. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was research. I was trying to figure out a problem that I was having with it. And I, it turns out that um, that was the, the problem was that the hub was being decommissioned, basically. Um, and, and I was like, well, crap. So I ended up having to buy like a Samsung hub to be able to make some of the automations that I have work. And they actually work a little bit better. I've, I've got another problem now because of it. But um, yeah, it just it, it, it ended up being a real pain that took us. And I know that people want like, basically, I, I guess what my lesson is out of this, uh, and I don't want to like just speak ill of, of um, you know, the, the people from, from Wink, but my, my lesson out of this is that uh, if you're going to buy something, you probably need to go with a well-known company like Philips or Samsung or Google if you're going to buy something like that. And Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to throw out, this is rare for me because I don't really have a problem with proprietary technology for the most part. But if you've got the means, I'd say just go learn Kubernetes. Like just use an open source solution. You know, you gotta, it's a little bit harder to work with, but I mean, it's not gonna massively change. No one's gonna come in here and throw price tags on an open source project. You know, the stuff you gotta learn about Raspberry Pi is not super complicated if you're already doing anything tech related. And the couple of solutions that require breadboards, those are also, you know, people get scared of them, but they're super easy. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that that is a good that is good advice. So I'm I'm looking at things that are more open standards anyway. So something like um, Zigbee versus Z-Wave and and things like that, so that that you can use these things interchangeably with things like HomeKit or something like that. Because um, I'm one of the things I plan on doing this year is getting some HomeKit stuff together so that I can have some more uh, automated stuff with like uh, light strips and things like that. One of the problems with it though, is that even though I want to do that on a regular basis, it is really hard to figure out all the little pieces of it ahead of time. And so it requires a lot of, um, a lot of kind of figuring out, right? Like you have to invest a lot of time. And there's some things that they weren't available to begin with when I started going down this road of, 
I want to have something that I can do that allows me to automate some of the things in my home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not, I don't disagree with that. I think that is absolutely fantastic advice. And it is, if you're trying to get into it right now, that is absolutely the way you need to go. But if you're somebody that started three, four years ago, when some of these things weren't really built out or available and you had to like, you know, know how to program in Python uh, and maybe you didn't know then how to do it. it. It's a, it's more of a journey than just let me, let me just throw some, some Kubernetes in a thing, you know, yeah, in, in like fast. Yeah. It, it's a little bit easier now. I mean, it's still got an Arduino base for the most part, but like before Kubernetes was a little bit easier to use learning Arduino or how to use these Arduino chips has always been a techie sort of thing. I mean, you yeah. can get jobs in it. That's yeah. I'll throw it out for a previous conversation. Um, Arduino, some good jobs in that. Like outside of like actual tech companies, there's a ton of stuff in entertainment and even in retail that yeah. Arduino experience is super well sought after. I mean, I know um, some of the best paid jobs at the companies my sister used to work for when she did escape rooms and stuff like that were these people that knew how to use the Arduino to make like all these little automations work inside the escape rooms and stuff yep. like that. Trigger off stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a, that's a good point. Um, because our Arduino is, and there's a lot of Arduino like or Arduino based devices that you can, you can put together out there that are really awesome. Um, yeah. From, from, cheap cameras to, um, you know, sensors to all sorts of things like that. It's, it's really great stuff. So that being said, um, you got anything else you want to say about that topic? No, I think I'm good. All right, cool. Well, this has been season three, episode 11 of the Beer and Broadband podcast. Thank you for listening. And thank you to all the people that are out there that are supporting our infrastructure right now. We really appreciate your time. And we just want to give you a shout out every day that, uh, that we, do something that where we use your services. Thank you so much. Uh, other than that, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.